0: pixel
1: sift hello and welcome to pixel sift if this is your first time listening to the show welcome on pixel sift we speak to the creative minds of video games interactive media we find out their stories what does it actually take to make those experiences that you love. So this is episode 172 and joining us this week is Jono Peck, uh, who's working with the team uh, at Rainbite. He's a writer. Uh, he's based in Australia. They're based in New Zealand and they're making a very unique twin stick shooter called Trigger Witch. Thanks for joining us.
0: Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be part of the uh, Pixel Sift universe now. It's, uh, yeah, it's great to, to be
1: part of this. It's the 8-bit and Pixel Sift kind of crossing over nicely, isn't it? We can't wait to find out more about your game. Um, It's it's very unique. That's what I would definitely say. Um, And let's jump in. Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. All right. So if you're into SNES-styled retro games with a bit of that modern flavor, a bit of that co-op action that you love to sit with your friends on the couch, I reckon you might like to give Trigger Witch a shot. Jono, you're a writer. Can you tell us about the world of Trigger Witch?
0: Sure. Well, I'm glad you said SNES off the bat, I should say. I was, you know, planning to use that word today and I wasn't sure how it would go down because some people are a bit uh, resistant to that. But, yeah, (laughs) it is a a SNES visually inspired game from Rainbite in New Zealand. And uh, as far as the world that this is, it's a a 2D open world um, twin stick shooter and it's basically a fantasy, you know, your typical kind of fantasy world but with a bit of a twist. Because uh, magic has been replaced by firearms, and uh, the reasons why become you know clearer as the game develops. You know the mystery behind this portal that spits out the weapons is uh, is unveiled, but uh, that's all part of the fun of playing through tr- tr- uh, Trigger Witch and finding out exactly
1: what's going on. I mean, tonally, it's very interesting because you've got this sort of standard fantasy world, but everyone's got machine guns and, you know, Uzis and a bunch of other things like that. How did that idea kind of come about? What was the, how did the mesh kind of uh, come into place?
0: That was prior to my involvement with the game. As, as much as I wrote the entire thing, basically, the concept was very much a, a, an idea that came from the, the rainbite guys in a, in a brainstorm sesh, uh, particularly Tom Butler. I think the uh, one of the designers on the game Came up with this concept of, um, you know, a, a world where, you know, guns have replaced magic to, to the largest extent, and I, I came in there to flesh it out and, you know, create some characters and and kind of make it work. So, uh, yeah, I, I really think you'd have to ask Tom exactly <laughs> what he was thinking, but I, if I had to guess, I think it was more like, what can we do that hasn't been done, and you know, bringing guns into this kind of Zelda-ish setting which you know their first game Reverie was I think very inspired by A Link to the Past as far as like the gameplay not so much the setting because it was a, a game that was based in New Zealand um, so I think it's kind of going back to that world but introducing um, a twin stick element to it which you know you can't really have a twin stick slash slashing game it's not quite as fun as a twin
1: stick shooter so What else can you do but throw in some weapons? It's really interesting to me because obviously, you know, if you're talking about a a shooting game, you could actually totally do it with magic, right? Like that's probably the the realistic way or, you know, the more traditional way that people would do it and sort of meshing those two uh, ideas together um, for me was like, it it was surprising that it worked as well as in the part that I've I've played through. Um, Can you tell me about some of the things that you really wanted to, avoid uh in telling this story things that you thought we really don't want our our direction to go in this way when you're sort of building out this world
0: so i actually wanted to make the the protagonist this story protagonist of this story a bit more um questionable in their like character and a bit more um of an anti-hero and the rainbite people were very uh focused on, no, she has to be good person. It has to be likable, but there are, you know, dialogue options in the game, so you can kind of choose the exact path that you want to go as far as the way that you respond to other characters in your environment. But uh, some of the more snide remarks were kind of toned down a little bit uh, from some of my original <laughs> vision for for Colette, but that's fine. I, I'm happy with where we landed in the end because whichever way you go, you know, there's a, there's a more gentle... Colette, and there's a bit more of a a one with a bit of an edge, but she's a she's a kind human either way you
1: you go. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, story inspiration for you? Um, What are some of the touchstones that you really wanted to include in the writing of this game?
0: I mean, there's a lot of references that people will pick up to classic fantasy stories, whether it's your Lord of the Rings or it's um, you know Zelda and. Uh, Harry Potter and that kind of thing anything with witches you know there's like Sabrina the Teenage Witch references and like all these kind of fun little things to just kind of throw in there for um, you know people that that might be fans of those things but as far as like me coming into it as a writer uh, and trying to to make the story interesting I was very inspired by games that I love so um, Final Fantasy 7 and the, the way that that handles the side characters was a influence on some of the Quests, like the side storylines in this game, I think with some of the dungeons in particular, um, the secret of Monkey Island and like the humor that those LucasArts games inject into their narratives is something that I've always loved. So I attempted to bring some of that lightheartedness to the game and um, even like had some direct references to Monkey Island that didn't make the cut because... They were either too obscure or they just didn't make sense in the context. So, you have to kind of, as a writer, let those references go and realize that it might not always be for the best to throw that stuff in there. So, that's my version of Killing Your Darlings is is, uh, taking out pop culture references that might be um, not the best fit.
1: (laughs) Can't go into the forest of three-headed monkeys anymore. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, the team and how it's worked, how you came on board. Because um, you mentioned that they had sort of had this idea initially and, and then you've come uh, as part to sort of flesh it out and, and build out the world.
0: Sure. Yeah, m- my story of how I even got to know Rainbite was through their first game, Reverie. So being a game set in New Zealand, there was you know a bit of intrigue about that and the, the I liked the look that it had, that kind of Pokemon, Earthboundy kind of graphical style. So I think I asked for a review code for that game and ended up having them on my podcast putting in work to talk about putting that together as a three-person studio. So they all met at uni in um, in, in Wellington, I believe. No, Auckland, sorry. Apologies. It was, I, I think it was Auckland, and they formed the studio Rainbite, put out that first game, Reverie, and after doing the podcast with them, uh, Jared Trail in particular, who is the lead programmer I hit it off with and we ended up playing a bunch of games like the Division 2 and uh that that you know just that kind of multiplayer online stuff we'd play together and he's a bit of a trophy hunter like I am with PlayStation so yeah kind of bonded over that and you know in one of the party chats one day a, c- a couple of years ago I said hey whatever your next game is if you need some help like editing the script or anything like that let me know and eventually he hit me back one day and said hey do you just want to write our next game like from scratch and i was like well of course i do because that's something that i like you know as a you know career writer whether it's in journalism or pr or you know i've written a couple of novels it's always been like games is the thing that's never really wavered and writing a game is an opportunity that i never thought i would have really so i just jumped on it and said definitely get me in there and we had a, a meeting kind of talking about what this game was going to be about, you know, the, the big major plot points. And from there, I just took, you know, the the quests and like the brief, most bare bone outline of you're going to go here and then you're going to go there and then this happens. And I just turned that into a script, so to speak, just with um, dialogue and creating some extra characters to flesh it out and f- trying to find like reasons for things to happen. I, I really enjoyed making the gameplay uh, make sense in the narrative sense. Um, often, you know, you play these games and there's things that we take for granted in, in video games, whether it's quick travel systems or respawning when you die. They're just these gamey things that happen in games because they just do. So I wanted to make everything kind of make sense as far as why why is this in this world and, and how is this possible? Like, why does the ammo just replenish all the time and stuff like that? So finding a way to to bring logic and sense and reason to this fantasy world was really fun.
1: What is one part of it in the story or the world building that you're really proud of? The tone of the game is
0: something I really enjoy because it is lighthearted and fun, but there's also a real heart to some of it. I think there are some like real moments, like it's hard to exactly get emotion out of a 2D pixel art kind of um, game when you're also having exploding animated onions running around as well. Uh, You know, it's a bit of a a balance to, to kind of hit the right tone with that. So you can't go too heavy handed and, you know, you can't exactly eke out like the Last of Us style emotions with with um, pixel art and little portraits on the screen. But I think that we did a really good job of, um, yeah, making a, a story that, you know, I think people will want to get to the end and see how it ends and see the, the characters develop and the side characters and how their arcs resolve as well. And I, I think also just creating a world that seems like... Even though people won't think into it as deeply as we have, um, especially me and Jared, because he's been the person within Rainbite that I've been going back and forth with, um, everything like makes sense to us as far as like um, why are these group of people in this world, and you know why are there no men in the village, and like things like that. We've, we've it all makes sense to us, and if anyone asks, we'll have an explanation for everything, including you know why are there and uh, reanimated shields that fly around like enemies. And why are there, you know, these magic little hats that cast spells? Like, it all makes sense. If you want to talk to me, I'll explain the lore of everything to you. Um, and you can read into things within the game
1: to maybe get hints of it here and there. But, yeah, that was quite fun too. You touched on this before, but you've done a fair bit of writing in the past. And I'm, I'm curious how the experience of writing a game Uh, lived up to your expectations, but also kind of challenged uh, what you thought it might be? Compared to writing a novel, for example, I've done two of those and you can just
0: basically make it whatever you want. However your vision carries out, you can just kind of follow that. But in a game where there's three other people with a strong ownership of that world and that story to an extent as well, you have to also work within the parameters of what works for them. And I might write like a particular character or a boss fight or something. And then it, it comes back from um, Dan, who's the animator and it might look completely different to the picture that I had. So then it's like, okay, now that, uh, that boss is, isn't what I said they were. So I have to change part of the script to address like some of their extra powers or whatever it might be, some of their abilities. Cause I did, cause, cause the, the the way that I wrote it, I wanted everything to make sense in the in, in the way that I saw the world of this game. So it was kind of taking other people's vision, taking my vision and finding like a compromise in the middle to um to explain everything. And I think that um like I said before, making everything make sense in the world was part of the fun, but also one of the challenges. Especially when you have um just like art design that like I couldn't see what I was writing for most of the the time that I was putting the script together. It was like I'd seen the demo, which was what you've played as well, like the first kind of dungeon, the tutorial area. And that was basically all I'd seen and everything after that was like in my head or it hadn't even been done yet. So I was almost like one step ahead of the paintbrush, so to speak.
1: Did you use like a, like a formal storyboarding sort of process similar to what they would do in a film or was it you writing, a, I guess, a, a teleplay almost or a video play in a way and then them sort of enacting your vision or, or whatever, you or you kind of finding a place that sits in the middle maybe?
0: Yeah, it definitely wasn't storyboarded. That would be way too sophisticated, I think. Um, <laughs> it was interesting because I'd never written a game before. I was trying to like research like, okay, is there like a default like best practice way to write a game and there really isn't um a lot of people do it in different ways and like, it depends on i think the type of game so like maybe if you're doing like a, a heavy rain or detroit become human like it is storyboarded because it's so cinematic right but a game like this it didn't make sense really to do that so uh it was more just like a script essentially like name, dialogue, and then like a, a description of what happens maybe in italics. And then occasionally I'd write like a little box of like, here are some of the things that I think should be in this person's bedroom or in this, you know, um witch doctor's hut or whatever it might be. It's like, this is my vision of of what's in here. And if you can draw that or if you can animate that. And that's the other thing is like I I'm not a programmer. I don't understand how to make games from that perspective. So sometimes I would not be completely sure whether what I was um, writing was possible, or you know, if if, if what I was uh, what my vision was for this cutscene. Like I didn't know how much effort they wanted to put in the anim- in the animation for cutscenes and things like that. So it was very like kind of like this is what I think should happen and then just, you know, seeing what they came back with, oh, that's too hard, or it can't be completely like that, but we can do it halfway. And a good example, I think, is, I've forgotten what the original question was, but I think a good example of what I'm talking about now is that there's a a scene in the game where the character gets to the top of a mountain, and there's a really picturesque viewpoint, which is in the end of the trailer. And for narrative reasons, I've, came up with that idea that you could see that uh, viewpoint and I thought it was really important to do. And it's a different kind of art style from everything else in the game because it's kind of that bird's eye view that you get from a typical Zelda kind of game, 2D Zelda game, and you don't ever see like what's in the background of those things. There's no horizon, so to speak. So that was an idea that went against the art style of the game, but I was very adamant that it was important to the story, but also um, a a nice moment to take a pause for the player and kind of reflect on what's happening in this game. And um, I'm really glad to see that got in there. And Dan did an amazing job of animating that too for something that isn't within like his typical kind of style, I think. So really glad that I could have that kind of effect on that part of the game.
1: I'd love to learn a little bit more about um, your relationship with the team, how that kind of all um, progressed throughout this project, and, and things that you're really proud of um, that you were able to achieve together. Probably ninety five percent of my interactions, probably even more actually,
0: were directly with Jared because we, you know, because we're friends and we're talking all the time. Anyway, I think it was just easier for them to um, designate one person to deal with me. So I think other people within the team. Uh, like Dan, for example, was the person that was liaising with the the artist that did the portraits for each character when they speak. You know, there's a little picture of each person that's talking. So, he was liaising with them. And I think uh, Butler m- may have been dealing with the composer. So, you know, everyone kind of, because it's a independent team of three people, everything they do is kind of divvied up into sections so that. You know no one person has too much work to do so so me for me it was with Jared and he was pretty much the like even if I wanted to ask the other guy something, I'd go through him <laughs> as well. Not that I didn't have a way to contact the others because i've I've spoken to them before, but really the only contact I had with the entire team was a couple of big phone calls or discord calls that we had in the initial stages one was to plan out the whole game and introduced me to what it was going to be. And the other was us sitting down with a mentor that they had to get some advice from him about um, the way that the game was going to be built and some of the bigger um, story beats and um, just the the basic game design uh, philosophy that they had. So I, I guess, it, yeah, it was um, – we we did work together in a sense where I would ask for things and they would ask for things and we'd we'd all identify problems or opportunities in each other's work, but it was almost completely liaising through Jared that that seemed to happen.
1: Could you tell me a little bit about what are the biggest lessons that you learnt um for, as a writer uh throughout this process? That's a good question
0: this is this is my first interview as a game developer, I should say, so it's a thrill to get sit here and get asked these questions, but it also means that I haven't thought about a lot of this stuff yet. But um, a big lesson that I learned, I mean, I guess what I said before about kind of having to compromise what your vision is for the bigger picture is something that I think writers should know as they go into working with other people, whether it is film, TV or, video games, if if it's not just you writing a book or a short story, then there's other people involved and that means that they've got skin in the game as much, if not more, than you do, as in as is the case with, with Trigger Witch. So I think as much as there's certain things that I would have liked or I would have liked this character to be, you know, designed in this way, or it would have been cool if the animation for that was different, or if you know whatever, like that's not up to me. I, I'm just the hired gun so to speak, you know. Um the uh the the guy in the the army with the sniper rifle just gets told to pull the trigger and he doesn't get to decide <laughs> you know what kind of gun he uses or you know I don't even know if this is a good example but it's trigger witch so we're just talking about guns. <laughs> um but yeah so I think that's probably what it is like not not to say that I haven't that I don't love the story in this game, but when like Go, yeah, going from writing a novel where it's my story to a, a game where I didn't create this world, um, I didn't create the main character. I just kind of coloured in the, the outlines of what was already there. So I, it's not like you know I can't give someone two heads if they've been you know drawn with one head. Uh, that's that's a weird example, but uh, you know what I'm saying. It's it's um it's not my game. And that's why I'll, I'll be quick to point out to, to people um, that I'm not actually part of Rainbite. I'm just a, a contractor and I'm happy to, to be seen that way because th- those guys, as much as I've put heaps of time
1: into this game, this has been their life for like two or three years full time. Do you as a writer enjoy writing to those constraints or uh, are you much more comfortable writing with a blank slate that everything can be whatever you like it to be?
0: I don't know if I have a preference because there's great things about both of them. Um, I think the great thing about writing your own story is as i said it's it's yours to to go in any direction you want, but at the same time when you do that, you're writing for yourself in a sense, and it can be hard to tell if something's good because <laughs> you're naturally biased towards your own ideas so writing with within the you know coloring between the lines as I said before, like there's actually something liberating about that it's like in school when you're given like uh, an assignment it's like write a creative story and you sit there like what am i supposed to do and then if they say write about what you did on the weekend or like write a fantasy story or write you know a story about getting lost and it's like okay that gives me an idea and you go from there the same way that like a game jam happens and there's a theme and everyone kind of puts their creative minds to the task i think that uh not having to actually come up with the world or the twist, or, you know, those major things in this game was a, a nice, refreshing change after coming off the two novels that I'd done prior to this, definitely. And, it, you know, such a fun, creative, and zany world. Um, as soon as they told me what the game was going to be about, I had, like, a thousand ideas already.
1: <laughs> We're getting really close to the release of this game, um, one thing we do like to ask people is if you had your time again, uh, if you'd start this project from the very beginning, knowing what you know now, what would you have liked to have known and what sort of knowledge would you you pass on to people who might be stepping into similar shows, shoes that you have?
0: The first thing that comes to my mind is just patience because, and, and that's been a really big thing to learn because my, like 99% of my involvement with the game finished probably in February. And since then, it's just been like, patiently waiting until everything's finished and all the bugs are ironed out and all the, you know, translations have come back and, uh, you know, all the certification, that process is still underway. But, you know, that's what we're waiting for now. So it's just uh, really cool to, um, to be so close, as you said. And I think because writing is something that you can just do so quickly, but it's not as quick to, you know, animate a boss fight Or to fix a list of fifty thousand bugs that came out of the last, um, you know, playtest or or whatever it is. So, patience is is a virtue uh, in game development, and I'm sure that won't come as a shock to anyone. And it's not a complete shock to me, but that's probably the thing that I would um, go back knowing and just like, you know, just having that. uh, You know, the the game will come out. Don't worry.
1: We've painted a picture of a world uh, that meshes together as a sort of fantasy, but also kind of a bit of a uh, sort of zany machine gun world as well that's there. Um, who is this game for? This game is honestly for everyone because as much
0: as there's like gore and violence, there is like a piñata mode that turns all the blood into like little, you know, <laughs> wrapped lollies that fall out of a piñata. And there's no swearing in the game. I was very clear to make it like suitable for children to the largest extent you know it's just monsters that you're killing for the most part so it's um i think i think it would be a great game to play like you said it's co-op you can play it with your kids or with your your friends or your partner and because it's twin stick shooter you know there's just going to be chaos on the screen and i think that there's a lot of room for fun whether you've got like a lot of experience with this type of game or not Um, having two people on there, you know, you can do the heavy lifting if, if someone else isn't so, so great. And (laughs) I think the balance of, of gameplay is quite good. All the guns have so much variety that, you know, you can get through the game and pick your favorite weapon and lean on that and go from there. I think that there's just so much in there for, for everyone to, to get a kick out of. So if you enjoy, especially like the retro, you know, SNES style games like we do, um, you're gonna love some of the artwork in this game. You're gonna love the boss fights, the music. I oh, mean, the music. I can rave about it. It's just, it's so good. I don't know if you uh, felt the same when you were playing the demo, but I'm, I'm, I love sitting there with my headphones on and just listening to it. Especially having dynamic music that amps up every time there's a altercation or, you know, a bit of combat. It just kicks into the the heavy version of each song. So. Yeah, I just uh, think that uh, I think everyone's going to get a kick out of this. And because it's releasing over every platform, PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, nothing for PC yet. But who knows? Stay tuned. Um, yeah, I just think that uh, it has a good opportunity to reach a, a pretty wide base if um, if it has a bit of luck and, and takes off.
1: Well, it's going to be out very soon as the time you listen to this, maybe even uh, if you're listening to this after the fact, it could be out now as you tune in. But if you want to find out more about it, um, you can head to rainbyte.net forward slash TriggerWitch or just do a search for TriggerWitch in your favorite search engine. Jono, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Um, Can't wait to get uh, behind, you know, the big hat, the robe and the (laughs) powerful automatic weaponry uh, in TriggerWitch.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me and um, thanks for checking the game out and being so enthusiastic. It's it's great to know that there are supporters like you out there, especially uh, for you know the Australian
1: and, and Kiwi part of the world. We love chatting to people and we love hearing about all the ver- variety of different experiences as well um, from all levels as well. So I uh, thank you for taking the time to chat to us. Um, Pixel Sift is produced by Fiona Bartholomew, Sarah Ireland, Daniel Ang, Adam Christo, uh, Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer. And my name's Gianni Giovanni and I'm the executive producer. As always, we'll be putting links uh, to everything we talked about in the show notes of uh, episode. You can find that in your podcast player or by heading to pixelsift.com.au. And if you'd like to join a nice community of creative people and people who appreciate creativity, why don't you jump into our Discord? Um, We've got developers in there, previous uh, developers who've been on the show. Uh, We've got people who appreciate games, people who are artists and musicians, and and it's just a great, cool, nice place uh, uh, that you can join that. So if you want to join that, that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord that address again pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord and if you like what we do can we ask you a favor Uh, we need your help to share the show if you tell one of your mates to listen in they're going to listen in aren't they Uh, so give it a go uh, share it with it Jono you know this experience as well um, word of mouth is is what podcasts live and die on. And while you're in your podcast player, why not have a listen to "Putting in Work," John O's show, uh, and see a, a lot of other great creative stories about people who have worked really hard uh, through a long career uh, to to put things together that uh, they're proud of, and, and you should be proud to learn about as well. Thanks again. Uh, until next time, have fun.
0: See ya.